The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jonathan Aberman. I have a little bit of a different format. Today's show is going to have two segments, but the entire show is about the challenge that we face in this region of becoming better at being technology product innovators as a way to continue to expand our economy. And we're going to talk specifically about a new program, the Tandem Product Academy, that I and a team of experienced professors at the Smith School of Business and well-known entrepreneurs have put together to teach people who are innovative how to do a better job of product. I know that's something that many of our listeners here in WFED are going to care about because of their interest in service delivery of technology. But here's the great thing. It's free. It's free because our sponsors provide the money. There's no equity. There's no requirement to give up anything to participate in this program. So check it out at tandeminnovate.com. Right now in the studio, I have Oliver Schlocky. Oliver is a full clinical professor and senior executive teaching fellow at the Robert H. Smith School of Business, University of Maryland. He teaches a broad range of things there all around helping people figure out how to be more innovative and grow businesses. He's a proven entrepreneur himself, and he's also a teacher in the Tandem Product Academy that we recently launched. Also here with me is Jack McDougall. If you haven't met Jack, Jack is the president and CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Board of Trade is one of our region's most prominent and important business associations. And Jack and the organization are very involved in the whole challenge of how do we grow our economy. Jack has been a great supporter of the whole issue of how do we become more innovative around product. He's got some strong visions about what the region should be doing. And with that in mind, I asked these two gentlemen to come and talk with me about product. Now, Jack, I'll start with you. Uh, what is your view on the region's current position as a hub for innovation and technology-driven economic development? Well, let, let back up a little bit. And if you think about our region's economic portfolio and economic performance over the last decade or even longer, there's been a reliance on professional services, as, as you've pointed out. And in particular, particularly within those professional services, government contracting. So we tend to go up and down based on government acquisition, government procurement. There needs to be greater diversification against uh, the economy. Um, but what that means is it doesn't mean necessarily less reliance on professional services. What it means is adding to. Yes. Our region has an advantage that few regions have in that we have this natural foundation of economic activity that surrounds the federal government in particular. Okay, so that's an advantage. But that's not enough in and of itself to remain globally competitive and to create the kind of jobs and to generate the kind of wealth that we need for our region to be prosperous and to have an inclusive economy. And so when we think about diversifying, it's not just then adding other types of professional services, but it's bringing in other types of industries, in particular manufacturing and products, mm. becomes much more critical to that longer term economic portfolio. Oliver, I'll turn to you. You've started various businesses. You help people grow businesses. What's the difference from the standpoint of the economic outcome? First of all, what's the difference between a product and a service business? Why do we care about having a diversity? And what does a product business actually mean? You know, pro products are the interface for the consumer. Easier to understand if we're looking at everything that's around right now with the Industry Revolution 4.0. All of the technology there is, is something getting giving the consumer the opportunity to 
link into this new world. You know, it's it's glasses, it's your it's your phone, it's a widget here. That's consumers understand it much easier than than a server. They're always complex. That's why a lot of people don't get this region. Uh, what are you guys actually doing? Uh, but if you can showcase a, a VR system over your head, or you have the newest uh, phone with with you, consumers react, the media reacts. In our short attention driven social media world, that is getting the headlines. And unfortunately, when you dominate the headlines, you get more attention. Other people see this is this is something we want to be engaged with. So products make sense for, for a lot of people. There's a way to think about mm -hmm. maybe as a simple analogy would be services, I make you a suit and it's designed specifically for you and it's beautiful and I put a lot of time and attention to it. But once mm -hmm. I give it to you, it's done. On the other hand, if it's a product, I can make that same suit a thousand times to a common spec and just sell it again and again, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, so, you could do that. Yeah. So, prof so products are by nature, they, they could be much more profitable there because you don't have this, you don't have labor being the same component of a business. Well, it, it depends. I mean, strategically speaking, products are not very favorable on the strategic chain of chain of things because products are easy to copy and uh, they're easy to make. So that's a, that's a benefit. And in general, they're easy to make. But they're also easy to copy. That's why we've we've uh, we have to move away from standardized products, from products that that don't have uh, things in them that make them unique. So we need to think about what are the products that we can create in this area, in this region, or even this country that are not as easily to copy as things we have done in the past. So we need to add all the services and the the intellectual components into this product. And I think that could be a challenge. For this area to find what are the products that we can load like uh, jack mentioned you know add the product to that combine this with what we have so the product often can be the starting point of a whole uh, new type of business to add to that and use your uh, your suit metaphor a little bit making one suit is still a value-added acti activity absolutely and replicating is an, a value-added activity and so if you think about the multiplier effect of producing a product it is much higher than producing providing a service, for example. So if you're telling somebody how to make a suit, that's not as valuable as actually making the suit. And so what you need to do is you need to balance out this advisory capacity with also actually then producing a product because the job creation is greater, the wealth creation is greater, and the return on investment is that much higher. It seems to me that when you look at the companies that really drive our economy, whether it's an Amazon, we're trying to attract an Apple, a Capital One, uh, the various companies around the country that, that really drive a large number of jobs and, and high stock prices, what they all have in common is they've freed themselves from a tailored delivery of something to delivering a product, something that's uniform, but is unique in some way. And it strikes me that our regional challenge may be two. Uh, the first one is, it's an interesting question whether or not we have a lot of product development expertise. We'll talk about how we're addressing that. The second one is, Oliver, you mentioned this, I think when people think about Technology products think about Silicon Valley. When they think about financial services products, they think about New York. When they think about consumer packaged goods, they think about Cincinnati. What are, what do we want people to think about for this region with their products? Jack, I know you've been thinking a lot about this. So I think it needs to be more broad than that. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a fan of industrial policy. I don't think that we should put policies in place that say we should develop this product and this product, but not that product. I think you create an environment where entrepreneurs and innovators and creative thinkers and rule breakers can come together and they can think about whether it's a new food product 
You know, mm-hmm. how do we, you know, we have a, a major agricultural industry across this region. So whether we're developing new food products, whether we're developing new technology products, whether we're developing other types of products. So how do you create that innovative environment where entrepreneurs are celebrated, where we invest in and we help entrepreneurs scale here? Because what that does is that creates a stickiness and it also attracts others to want to come and be part of that. Right. It's like, hey, you know what? I can go there. You know, I got an idea. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go to Washington, mm-hmm. you know, and so that it's not just uh, limited necessarily by biotech or health tech or something that's very narrowly defined, but it could be across. And that's where real innovation comes. If you're trying to solve a problem and you're solving it with a solution that works over here, that's where you get some real innovation. And so it's that cross threading, I mm. think, that creates a real dynamic environment. Which brings me to the Tannen Product Academy that you're both in, involved in helped me launch, uh, which is to help all these people who are innovative uh, learn how to, to develop product as well as the services. Oliver, you're going to be teaching in the program, and I know you've taught a lot in this area. From your perspective, do you think that you can teach somebody how to become a product entrepreneur if they spent their lives delivering a service? Yeah, I, I think you can. And uh, I've done some of that in, in, in my past. I'm originally a product engineer. Uh, and um, the product, I see the product as, as a starting point. And you don't have to unlearn all your ability to deliver a service. And in actuality, if you look at many of the products we, we see, very few of these products are just plain asset sales. You know, you get the product, use it, and then discard it, and, and that's the life cycle. Most of the products we get these days are products that are actually starting a, a complete service agreement with what we with what we have. And so if you can add the product to this large amount of service experience that somebody brings to the to the table, that product then can bring new customers to that this particular service. I mean, if you have a button uh, from Amazon that says, you know, press me when my, uh, you know, detergent is empty. Yeah, it's a it's a nifty product, right? It's right. hooked up to your to your Wi-Fi and all that. But the real benefit of that product is the whole service providing that comes in the, in the background. So the problem, again, is the, the outsized interface that doesn't have to be particularly uh, difficult to make or complicated. So at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, is understand that you sell differently, you create a product differently, you may build your team differently, but these are all skills that can be taught if somebody wants to broaden their base. Jack, uh, the Board of Trade you made a big statement organizationally around smart cities and various technologies you think can drive the 21st century, and, and your organization's a big supporter of this initiative. Um, what does success look like for the Board of Trade and, and Tanner Proponic Academy and all the things that we're doing together? I think it's a further diversification of the economy. I think uh, over time, uh, having to track successful scale-up operations that as you look at the economic portfolio right now, it's predominantly services as that pie begins to change shape a little bit and we start to see growing value added uh, in other sectors. Uh, and I think there are some sectors here that we're very well positioned to take advantage of. I think financial tech, I think education tech, I think healthcare and health tech uh, are really viable to this region. Uh, there's really no reason that we can't uh, get out in front of those. Uh, which I think is really important. And so I think over time, it's it's probably not one of those things that you can point to, but over time, all of a sudden, it'll be like, hey, you know what? Washington's a pretty cool place to go innovate. 
Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. We were talking with Oliver Schlockett, professor at the University of Maryland, and Jack McDougall, president and CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade. We've been talking about product and how we can help innovators here develop their product. That's what the Tandem Product Academy is all about. If you've listened to the segment and you're interested in developing a technology as a product, you want to check out this program. We'll teach you how to do it. It's www.tandeminnovate.com. After the break, we're going to come back and talk with two instructors in the Tandem Product Academy about why they're interested in this program and why they think it's important for all of us to be better at innovation. And a thank you to our sponsor, JLL. JLL is the leading commercial real estate service company within the Washington, D.C. metro area, serving the technology, government contracting, and professional services industries. JLL's strategy-led approach and expert implementation results in cost-effective and flexible real estate solutions that help their clients succeed and grow. Thank you to our sponsor, TEDCO. TEDCO invests in early-stage tech and life science companies. It provides resources and connections that companies need to thrive in Maryland. TEDCO's mission is to discover, invest in, and help build great companies. Learn more at www.tedco.md. Thank you to Speakerbox Communications. Speakerbox is your team for meeting the unique demands of the technology sector, crystallizing complex ideas, targeting highly intelligent buyers, and moving at the speed of tech. Since 1997, they've given voice to many of our industry's top thinkers and performers. Check them out at speakerboxpr.com. We're continuing our conversation around the issue of technology, product, entrepreneurship, and skill development here in the studio now with two experts on technology, product, and business who are helping me with the Tandem Product Academy. Ed Bursoff is here. Ed is a business founder with a long history of growing government-focused business here in the region. He's assisted many business founders develop strategies to commercialize technology products and reach new markets. You've probably run across him in connection with companies like BTG, ICF International, ATS Corporation, and he's now involved in a new finance company called BFF. He's also an active angel investor and has a lot of experience helping to grow both service and technology product companies, and he's also a teacher in the Tanner Product Academy. Second guest here in the studio is Tammy Howie. Tammy is a partner with the law firm of DLA Piper. You may have heard her on the show recently. She was the CEO of Maryland Tech Council, and before that, she's been involved as a general counsel with corporations, a law firm partner, been here for a long time, helping, again, start up, grow in our region. And we're also fortunate to have Tammy provide her legal expertise as a teacher of the Tandem Product Academy. So, Ed, I'll start with you. You've seen it from both sides, and I know this is a topic you and I have talked a lot about. What do you see as the biggest differences between providing technology as a product vis-a-vis -vis providing it as a service? Well, as a service, what you're contracted for, what people ask for is labor support for uh, innovation or for some kind of uh, delivery of, uh, of a system or something like that. So uh, it's really provision of labor. It's not a provision of uh, intellectual property. It's more, uh, I need help in developing something. And so give me some engineers and let's go, go do that. On the product side, of course, you have to be specific. You have to focus and you have to be concerned about what the market's like for that particular product. So it's a whole different mindset in terms of the people that are in the in that 
uh, industry and and how they uh, develop and and mature as uh, as engineers. Now, from your perspective, having been a technology provider and working with the government for a long time, one of the things that's driving this is the government wants product more than they did, say, five or ten years ago, right? Well, precisely because in the old days, what they would want is uh, to provide services and to help them develop systems that were kind of one of a kind and unique. Uh, today, they're looking for broader solutions that are off the shelf. And so the migration from custom-built systems to off-the-shelf systems is is dramatic and been changing very rapidly in the last several years. So we need to adapt, in effect, in order to compete. If you're going to work for the government, for sure. But in addition, those same products have commercial applications that are outside the government. And it's really important to help to, to take that technology that the government's willing to fund and to move it into the private sector. Tammy, I want to bring you into the conversation because your expertise, uh, you're involved in startups, you've been doing it here, Silicon Valley. This is what you do. How do you see the divide between product and service and the opportunity here in the region? So as you know, I am committed to make this region the number one region in innovation. Um, and the biggest complaint I get is that there are not enough product companies here. So we don't see as much investment as we otherwise would if, if we had the product companies around it. We have a lot of inventors that have great ideas. We have a lot of ideas that are patented, but they don't really commercialize it into a product. And they have all of the basic raw materials there to do it, and they just need help in how to organize and get those products out to market. As you compare the entrepreneurs and innovators you work with here, Tammy, vis-a-vis -vis Silicon Valley, what's, what's missing? I think the federal government is our best friend in this region and also our worst enemy because we have a little bit of risk aversion um, and we are often compensated with huge government contracts that put butts in seats as opposed to compensate us as Ed was talking about for uh, actually bringing that product to market. So here I hear about, oh, I got a contract, I got, you know, I can get 25 people on payroll and I can make money off of it rather than leading with, I have this amazing product that I'm bringing out to market. So I think we need to get that as part of the conversation that first we start with the product and mm -hmm. then we worry about where we're selling it. But, and also that, you know, the service sector kind of gives you a false sense of security because you are kind of lulled into, into a feeling that I've got this funding from the government and the incentive to kind of give it your all and, and develop a product is really not there because you're being subsidized in part. And I've seen so many companies try to leverage their work with the government and develop a product, but they're really not committed because they're giving the, their all to the services side and they, they don't give enough attention to developing the product. That's kind of what I think is fueling that, that uh, discrepancy. Now, I want to I want to make sure that we're, we're fair to people who do this because it's still entrepreneurial activity. And as Ed, as, as you've learned from your own experience being the founder of BTG and, and on the board of ICF and Tammy, you've got many clients that are service related. And heck, I, my family business is a service business. I mean, entrepreneurial people provide technology as a service to government all day long. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, for sure. Right. <laughs> because I, but I just, we're, we're talking about growing doing the pie. That. We're not talking right, about right. making people who are doing it feel bad. That's all I, I just want to make sure we bring all those people into this conversation, right, not having right. to think, well, we're telling them that what they're doing is wrong. Right? No, it's not at all wrong. Okay. It's just a matter of if you're going to develop product, you got to focus on developing the product and make sure that the market's there for the product you want to develop. Now, what, Tammy, what are the advantages from from the standpoint of wealth creation? You have entrepreneurs that grow service businesses, people like Ed. Product entrepreneurs, why does a product business grow faster? What makes it more, what makes the biggest companies in America product companies and not service companies? So from my standpoint on the entrepreneurial level, the funding sources quadruple when you have a product attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, so you, 
you get more money in the door. You also get more help from the government entities. Um, they they really want to have products out here for manufacturing. You get a lot more incentives. You get a lot more tax savings. Um, and it is a lot easier when you have a um, a product there that someone is tangible, can hold, and, and invest in it. Or it could be a product like Amazon Web Services, you know, software right. as a service. It, To my mind, Ed, that the point is that if we have a product, we can take the same intellectual property and reproduce it again and again and again and sell the same thing uh, instead of just creating it once and handing it to a customer. Well, exactly, and that's what uh, the product sector is all about. Mm. The problem is that it's not self-funding. You need the funding to develop the product and to keep it current over time. So unlike government services or any kind of services business, which is repetitive and continues, on the product side, you have to have con a continual supply of money mm. in order to keep the product development going. That's where the focus really has to be. And entrepreneurs don't often like to give up, especially service-based entrepreneurs don't like to give up their equity in their business in order to get more funding so they can develop products. They want to bootstrap things. Right. And that's really not a, a, a positive way to, to do product development. Which brings us to the Gordian knot that the three of us and others are trying to loosen with the Tanner Product Academy, which is we've got to teach people how to be product entrepreneurs because it's different than product and service, but people don't want to give up equity or you know, be deluded to learn it. So that's what we're giving this away for free. People say to me, wait, it's really free? Yeah, it's really free. I mean, our sponsors of Fairfax County, DLA, and some others are providing the money. So we do this for free. What kind of skills are we going to teach people? From my standpoint, I'm going to teach them how to set up their corporations legally, how to get money in the door that doesn't kill the company that allows them to grow and add additional investors in. I'm going to teach them how to um, make sure they have the IP protections that they actually own their product and will continue to own it and they can grow and develop it as they move along in growth in their company. And one of the biggest shortcomings I see in entrepreneurs in, in the technology industry especially has to do with understanding finance. Uh, mm -hmm. not so, it, it's partly bringing money in the door, but then what do I do with it? How do I leverage it? How do I work with banks? Uh, how do I really deal with the investors? Uh, they're great innovators and thinkers and very smart people, but they just don't put it all together sometimes and have to and learn how to, to build a business. Because it is a business, it's not just fun. Right. And I think that here in town, you know, we have over 130 programs that help people start businesses and find an initial customer, theoretically. But what lacks and what we're running after here is there's a difference between finding your first customer and finding the next hundred and the next thousand. If we're going to focus on that, how are we going to define success? Is it getting more capital in because we're going to create more financeable entrepreneurs? Or is it having people grow businesses without ever raising a dollar? What What I'm excited to be part of Tandem Academy for is that I don't view we're growing businesses. I think we're growing leaders here. Hmm. So I think what this industry in this region is lacking are people that are serial entrepreneurs, that are leaders, that know what they're doing, that top talent. And I think part of the problem is they've had to figure it out at the bottom themselves, and they've learned along the way. And I think if we put this solid foundation where they understand finances and understand, have services, but you also need a product attached and understands what to do with that money once they get it in and how to protect their company, that then they'll share it with the next level of management that comes in. And then I'd like to have five um, in the next two years, Amazons that come in. So, um, and have a ton of companies behind that with um, repeat entrepreneurs that are there to mentor the next level. Ed, 
you were part of the team that launched the Northern Virginia Technology Council. And I, I think just about every regional organization that promotes innovation in the region, you had a, your fingerprints on. Is this the next generation for you? Do you see this as the next iteration of where we're, we need to take the region? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the NVTC was based on a, the service economy dealing with primarily with the government, but there's a sea change going on and this region has the talent pool to make that happen. My view of success here is uh, I'm a metrics kind of guy. And so I, I think the ratio between service oriented businesses and technology and product oriented business technology is that changes over time. That to me would be the definition of success. Yeah, I think that that recognition that this region is undergoing a major change is a, is a very important thing. Any final words, Tammy? I'm super excited to be part of the Tandem Academy. I think this region has all of the materials to be viewed as the top region in innovation. I think we have products and I think we have um, services. And I think what's great about Tandem Academy is we're going to teach people how to promote both of them. So if you're listening to this podcast radio show and you are doing government service and you're trying to figure out how to grow a product or you've gotten some federal R&D or you've gotten some money from an angel investor and you're trying to figure out how to scale, please check out tandeminnovate.com and come and join the party. We're looking forward to meeting you. We're looking for 25 great entrepreneurial companies to help grow this fall. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. So a very distraught client called me last week. An employee of hers had quit unexpectedly and walked right out the door to join a competitor with a flash drive jam-packed with customer data. What could she do? Well, the first question I asked is, was there anything in writing? Was there an employment agreement, a non-disclosure agreement, something that addressed her handling of the trade secrets and her acknowledgement that that customer data belonged to the company? I also walked her through the fact that she might have claims both against the employee as well as the new employer if the new employer had knowledge or encouraged her to take that information when she left. One of the big problems in enforcing trade secret misappropriation claims is up until very recently, you had to deal with the law of all 50 states. What if her employer was leaving Maryland and going to Virginia? Which law would govern? For a long time, it created a lot of confusion about what the rights of small business owners were to protect their most proprietary information. Well, Congress really helped out small business last year by passing the Defend Trade Secrets Act, the DTSA. The DTSA is little known but new and important law that basically finally federalizes trade secret law. All of trade secret law's brothers and sisters, patents, copyrights, and trademarks, We're all governed by federal law. In fact, in some cases, going all the way back to the U.S. Constitution. But trade secret law was governed by the 50 states or common law or courts. Now you have the advent of a federal statute to help protect your most proprietary secrets. But you've got to take action. Make sure that your company policies, your employment agreements, and your non-disclosure agreements with both employees and non-employees are modified to invoke critical provisions of the DTSA. Protect yourself and your most valuable and tangible assets. Congress helped you out. Now take advantage of this law. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. And that's today's show. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. 
I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.